0: If you have your Bibles, listen closely, please turn them to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Today we are taking a one-week break from our study in the book of Genesis in order to have a a one-week message on the topic of parenting from Psalm 78. We are very aware of the many young parents who are feeling overwhelmed and confused and discouraged in their parenting. We're we're also aware of the many older parents in the church who are burdened and discouraged for their growing and even adult children. Friends, we also know that transferring the gospel to the next generation is not just the responsibility of parents, but the responsibility of the whole church as well. And so whether you are a parent or not, we believe that this is an important and timely message for our church family so let's begin this morning by reading Psalm 78, verses 1 to 8. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Amen. May God bless both the preaching and the believing of his word this morning. Friends, I want to introduce you to a large family that I know this morning. This family has uh, made many, many mistakes in their life together. Many marriage mistakes, many parenting mistakes. In fact, if you knew this family personally, you would likely have significant concerns about who they are and the health of their home. The great-grandfather of this family was an immigrant. In many ways, he was heroic in his willingness to leave his country to find a new home. But as he led his family, he made some really big mistakes along their way. There were actually two times when he actually made his wife available to the desires of other men. His wife was a wonderful woman, but she too made some big mistakes. For many selfish reasons, she and her husband invited another woman into their marriage, and the result of that non-traditional home was a whole lot of drama and pain. They eventually had a son, and he, he was a good son, but like his parents, when he grew up, he made a lot of mistakes as well, particularly in that he was a very lazy father, As a father, he did not lead his home as he should. He didn't correct them. He didn't adjust them. He didn't discipline or disciple them. And his two sons, as a result, grew up hating each other. These brothers despised each other. They stole from each other. One of them actually tried to kill the other brother. And so one of them ended up running away from home altogether. Once he ran away from home, He ultimately ended up getting married to someone, but he had one girl that he wanted to marry, but then was deceived by another family member and ended up sleeping with her sister. And that made things really complicated because he ended up with two wives and more than 12 kids between them. And big families are great. We love big families, but this family had some seriously messed up issues. They were incredibly dysfunctional. One of the 12 sons ended up having sex with one of his father's wives. One of his other sons, when he grew up, slept with his own daughter-in-law and then tried to kill her. One of his daughters was abused by another man and the father failed to do anything about it. He did not defend her. Two other sons were incredibly violent and incredibly vengeful and they got into all kinds of legal troubles. The family had some major issues. Friends, I wonder if your family has a lot of issues as well. What kind of home did you grow up in? Did you have faithful and loving parents or did you have neglectful or even abusive parents? Have you been given a good or a bad example of what it means to be a parent? As a parent, do you often feel overwhelmed and ill-equipped to do what you're called to do? Sometimes when you wake up in the morning, do you look at yourself in the mirror and then hear the kids in the other room and say, God, what were you thinking by giving me these little people? Seriously, Lord, I'm not sure that was the right decision. Friends, if that is you, you are not alone. In fact, not only are you not alone, but you are in very good company. If you couldn't tell, the the family I just introduced to you is the family of Abraham from the book of Genesis. It is God's chosen family. It is a family chosen and loved by God, but with some serious problems. I don't know about you, but, but as we have studied the book of Genesis, I have asked the question so many times, God, what were you thinking by choosing these people? These are really bad people, Lord. These are really bad parents. How do you plan to use people as weak as this? But, church, even as we ask those questions about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we can ask the very same questions about ourselves, can't we? God, God, how can you possibly use a dad like me? How can you bless my family through my weakness and through my many failings? God, God, how can you use a mom with my issues and my baggage to actually bless these kids rather than do greater harm to these kids? Well, friends, as we see in Genesis and as we see throughout all of Scripture, no parent is sufficient in themselves. God's people have always made many parenting mistakes. In fact, the Bible is is unmistakably clear in that no parent has the knowledge or the skill or the diligence or the wisdom in themselves to be faithful and fruitful in their parenting. And that includes all of us who think that we do. That includes all of us who feel like we've got the parenting thing figured out and that we're parenting in our own strength as a result. Friends, just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we all need something more. We need a stronger foundation to stand on than ourselves. And that brings us to our main idea this morning. The main idea for our message is this. God's grace must be foundational and formative for weak parents and the generations that they lead. God's grace must be foundational and formative for, the weak, for weak parents and the generations that they lead. We have three points this morning. Point number one, the foundation of parenting. Point number two, the formation of parenting. And point number three, the future of parenting. Let's go ahead and begin with the first. Point number one, the foundation of parenting. Folks, parenting is complicated, isn't it? The amount of decisions that we make in a single day for our kids is mind-blowing. If you're a new parent, you have to think through, do we breastfeed or bottle feed? Do we co-sleep or do we sleep train? If your kid is getting a little older, you have to think through whether you correct your child or whether you practice child-centered parenting. Do you choose private or public school for them? Do you allow them to use social media? Do you allow them to date once they get into high school? And it's crazy, you can read one book one day and then listen to a podcast the very next day and they say exactly the opposite things. Parenting philosophies are always shifting and changing. And it's not that thinking about methods is unimportant. We need to make choices along the way about sleep and feedings and activities. But these things must not be the foundation that we stand on as parents. No, we must have a stronger foundation to stand on than just the latest parenting conversation on Facebook. We need a foundation that is stronger and more secure. We need God's grace and his gospel in our parenting. Psalm 78 is a historical psalm. And it starts in verse 1 by saying, Give ear, pay attention, O my people, to my teaching. This is a psalm that is intended to teach, to to instruct God's people. And in verse 4, the psalmist gives us the intended audience, which is specifically the coming generation. And verse 7 gives us the goal of this teaching to the next generation, that they might set their hope in God. Psalm 78 expresses God's heart for the next generation. This psalm shows us that God loves your children, your student, your adult child more than you even love them. He is committed to them. And, church, listen. God's commitment to the next generation is the foundation that every parent needs to stand on. This, this covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, which we have studied in Genesis, he is the foundation that we stand on this morning. Look, look, look at how this psalm talks about uh, speaks about what the next generation needs. It doesn't talk about sleeping patterns. It doesn't talk about schooling choices. It doesn't talk about extracurricular activities for our kids. No, it talks about objective, defined, historical, unchangeable truths. Look at some of the words that the psalmist uses. He says, give ear to my teaching. That word teaching carries an authority with it, doesn't it? These are not just suggestions being given. Look at verse 3. He says that this teaching is about things that we have heard and known. These are not just new or trendy ideas. No, they are historical and they are proven. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 tells us what these things are. It says, The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The, The teaching the content that we are not supposed to hide from our children, the truths that they need more than anything else, is the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might, the wonders that He has done. He and His grace is our foundation. Look at verse 5. It says that He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. Oh, church, those are gloriously strong words. Those are... Foundation laying word. God has established a testimony in Jacob. What is that testimony? That testimony is the story of God's grace and mercy towards his sinful people. When he says, that he's established a testimony in Jacob here in verse 5. He's speaking about more than what we just studied in the book of Genesis, but we have definitely seen this in the book of Genesis as well, right? What have we seen in the lives of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham? I'll tell you what we've seen. We have seen their profound weakness. We have seen their, their failure. As men and as husbands and as fathers and as wives and as moms. In in one sense, Genesis has given us anything but a good lesson on parenting. The parenting lessons that we have seen are almost all bad in the book of Genesis. These people have failed as moms and dads. But listen, in another sense, Genesis has given us the exact parenting lesson that we need. And what is that lesson? It is the lesson of God's grace and mercy. It is the lesson... That the future of God's people, listen, the future of your children, their future health, their future strength, their future spiritual well-being and maturity, it is not dependent on us being really good moms and dads. It's not. It is dependent on the grace of God. The grace of God that perseveres for his people despite weak parents. The grace of God which perseveres despite weak parents like Abraham and Sarah. The grace of God which perseveres despite the weak parents like Isaac and Rebecca or like Joel and Ashley or Brian and Kristen or Mike and Lucy or Joel or Steve and Janet or Derek and Mara or Nathan and Ashley. Genesis has proven to us that God's plans are not dependent upon our own wisdom and strength. No, his plans are dependent upon his grace and mercy alone, despite us, church. Isn't that great news? Psalm 78 recounts multiple ways throughout the whole psalm that the people of God rebel against God, ways that they have turned away from him. But then it also recalls, How persistent God's grace is to bring them back to himself. Church, there are so many parenting philosophies out there to choose from. So many. But this psalm cuts through the jungle of of thought and ideas and psychology. And it says the greatest thing that you can give to your kids is the testimony of God's persistent grace. the, The testimony of his unfailing love. And friends, I, I love that word testimony in verse five because it not only does it speak to the biblical account of God's love, but it also speaks to our own personal stories as parents. Moms and dads, the most important thing about your parenting is not how soon you give solid food to your infant or whether you send them to public or private school. No, the most important thing about your parenting is that we tell our kids about the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might. And guess what? That's great news. That's great news for every mom and dad in this room because if you are a Christian, if you have been saved by God's grace, if you have put your faith in him, if he has redeemed your life from the pit, if he has given you a testimony of his grace, well, then guess what? You have everything that you need to be a faithful, godly parent, parents. You already have the most important tool that you need. It's God's grace and the gospel, and it's already at work in your life. So guess what? Guess what, parents? You don't have to be perfect. It's okay to make mistakes. You don't need to hide your weakness. In fact, letting your kids and letting others in the church see your weakness as a parent and then and then, an example being an example of how you run to Jesus with that weakness, it's one of the best ways that you can parent your son or daughter. It will help them to see the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might in your life, and then hopefully in theirs as well. And and guess what, Church Get, Redeemer Fellowship, this also means that you don't even have to be a parent to participate in the thrilling work of transferring the gospel to the next generation. Every one of us has a testimony of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might. And every one of us, whether we are a parent or not, is actively participating in transferring the gospel to the next generation. I love Psalm 78. And I love it because it's not written specifically to parents. It's actually written to all of God's people within the church. We all get to tell the coming generations of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might. What a privilege. You know recently my, my wife was talking to our youngest daughter Angela and Angela is 11 years old she has a lot of friends in the church and at, at co-op but but Angela was saying to Ashley that she thinks that one of her very best friends in the world is Sheila Nottage. She loves Sheila Nottage. They could talk for hours together. And Sheila's example of of loving the Lord and having joy in Jesus and singing enthusiastically to Jesus from this stage, as she does all that, she is discipling my daughter. She's, in a sense, parenting my own child, and I love it. Church, we are all participating in the extraordinary work of transferring the gospel to the next generation. Christian, Whether you are married or not, whether you are a parent or not, your enthusiastic and expressive and joyful singing here on Sunday mornings, it communicates something to the students and to the kids who look on. They're seeing, wow, these people, these adults have something to get excited about. It's the grace of God. Christian, whether you are a parent or not, or married or not, your service of the church and your participation on the function support team or in Redeemer Kids, you are communicating to the next generation that you're not living for yourself but for Jesus. Christian, whether you are a parent or not or married or not, your generosity towards the local church and your commitment to the membership vows that we just heard, it communicates that this world is not your home, but your home is in and with Jesus. And the next generation is taking note. The foundation of parenting for every household and for the entire church is the testimony of God's grace at work in our lives. He is faithful. And that foundation really does give us strength. That foundation really does give us direction in our parenting as well. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two, the, the formation of parenting. The formation of parenting. Psalm 78 does not get into every detail of parenting. Uh, This psalm does not speak to whether you should watch that movie as a family or not. It doesn't tell whether you should spank your child or not. Psalm 78 doesn't do that. And and some of us might think that that means that God doesn't care about the details of our parenting. But that's not the right response either. God does care about our parenting. Look look at verse 5. It says that he commanded our fathers to teach these things to their children. God has commanded us as parents to, to parent, to lead, to disciple our children. And we cannot ignore this holy calling. Derek Kidner, talking about Psalm 78, says that this psalm leaves no room for parental neutrality. The great reformer John Calvin says about Psalm 78 that parents should be more powerfully stirred up to instruct their children. We must instruct. We must teach. We must train but then how what form should our parenting take what parenting philosophy should we choose for our home well friends I can't tell you exactly what parenting philosophy you should adopt but I can tell you that the general form of your parenting I can tell you what form it should take your parenting should be led and formed by the grace of God and by the truth of his word and what his word says about us and what it says about God. See, just as the foundation of our parenting is God's grace, so the form of our parenting should also be God's grace. Now let me use this illustration. When, when you are building a house, the, the foundation that you lay for that house matters in a really big way. Not only is it important because it's the strong footing that the house will stand on, not only does the foundation keep the house from falling apart, but the foundation is also important because it also gives direction and form to how the rest of the house will be built. As the foundation is laid, so the house will follow. And so you don't lay a 500-square-foot foundation for a two-story Cape Cod and then decide later to to build a 60-foot rancher that extends well beyond the foundation that is laid. No. Generally speaking, the building must coincide with the foundation. The foundation gives direction and form to the house. And the same is true for parenting as well. God's grace is not only the foundation. It also gives us the direction. It should also lead to the formation of our homes and to how we parent. And here's what we mean by this. God's word is not going to give specific instructions to every decision that we make, but God's word and the message of grace can lead us, it can form the decisions that we make for our family. See, in verses five to eight of this psalm and then throughout the rest of the psalm, the psalmist gives historical examples that highlight theological truths. These are historical and theological truths that are supposed to form the next generation that comes after us. And what are those truths? Well, first of all, the psalmist highlights the truth that God's people are a stubborn and rebellious people. He highlights their sin. Now, why does he do that? Well, because their sinfulness, their tendency to disobey is a part of the testimony of God's grace. You you can't celebrate the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might if you ignore the reality of your sin and the need for a savior. And so it's important to help the next generation to see and to understand the reality of their sin. Why? To condemn them and to depress them? No. So that they too might celebrate the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might. And so listen, any, any parenting philosophy or psychology that, that refuses to allow a child to know that he is a sinner or acknowledge his mistakes, that philosophy is a contradiction of biblical and theological convictions. But in the same way, The psalmist does not leave us to wallow in our own sinfulness, and he is not suggesting that that parents only talk about their sin. He's not suggesting that they only discipline and punish their kids. No, that would be theologically forgetful and short-sighted as well. The psalmist talks about how we disobey and rebel, but then he celebrates loudly the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might, the might of His grace. The might and the power of his forgiveness. The might and the power of God's goodness and patience and love for his chosen people. Look look at verse 38. It says, yet he being compassionate, he atoned for their iniquity and he did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up his wrath. This compassionate heart of God, this restraint of his anger and discipline is also essential to our theology as well. The the psalmist wants it to form who we are as parents as well. We too should celebrate our kids even as God our Father celebrates his people. And so friends, I don't know what parenting philosophy you are choosing for your home, but here's our hope and prayer. We hope that how we parent is not based either on secular psychology alone or on our own preferences and tendencies as moms and dads alone. We're not trying to disciple our kids into our own image and make them into who we want them to be. No, we hope and pray that our parenting is consistent with our theology and with God's word. As a church, we believe in the sinfulness and in the depravity of humanity. And so it would be theologically inconsistent to adopt a parenting philosophy that makes your child the center of the world and that refuses to ever correct or discipline them. Our kids need us to love them enough to allow our parenting, to allow us as parents to be uh, caring enough to give them an example of godly authority and to remind them of their ultimate need for a savior. But in the same way, As a church family, we also believe that our God is a happy, happy God. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so listen, if you are a dad and all you do is correct and direct your children and you never take time to celebrate your kids, well, then you are being theologically forgetful as well. Or maybe, maybe you have adult children And they are making really bad life choices for themselves. And you are torn as their mom and dad who who no longer has influence in their lives. You're torn about whether you should stand against those choices or whether you should love them for who they are. Guess what? Theologically, you can do both. You can share your convictions and concerns and you can stand strongly in that. But then you can also love them and care for them for who they are. That's actually where our theology takes us. Jesus himself was full of grace and truth. The, the point is this. We can't get into all the details of parenting, but the point is this. The foundation of God's grace should bring form to our parenting. The foundation, foundational truths of the gospel should form the way that we build our homes. So let me mention very quickly, because we can't get into all of the details, let me mention very quickly that this February we are going to have a study hall seminar, three Saturdays in a row on parenting. We are going to consider 14 gospel principles for our homes, and we hope that if you're a parent, you can join us. Friends, that brings us to our our third point this morning. Point number three, the future of parenting. And I am eager to leave you with this point. Because I don't know about you, but as a dad, I can be very anxious about the future. When you have kids that you love with all of your heart, it can be very easy to be fearful about what their lives will be like. And, and Psalm 78 agrees with many of those fears. Psalm 78 speaks about how generations can go astray. Psalm 78 talks about enemies and the dangers of this world. And so fear as a parent is fairly legitimate. We fear for our kids. We fear for their relationships. We fear for their future careers. We fear for what kind of world they're going, growing up in. We fear for their souls and for the decisions that they will make. Parenting can feel impossible sometimes, can't it? There, there are things about parenting that can leave us feeling utterly helpless and hopeless. Parents, What is it about your kids this morning that seems impossible to you? What fear do you have for your kids in the future that seems all but certain and unavoidable? What area of their life do you look at and say, no good can come from that? That is only bad. Is it their hard-hearted tendencies? Do you have a a particularly strong-willed child? Is it their depression? Is your son or daughter stuck in darkness right now? Is it their tendency to resist authority and you fear what that will be for them in the future? Do they hate being told what to do? Is it a love and a tendency towards this world and a lack of love for Jesus and the church? Is it a lack for, for others? Do you see your child being mean and a bully to those around them? Is it, is it laziness that you see in them? Is it health problems that you see in them? Is it physical or mental weakness in your child that causes you to fear Is it the decisions that they're making as adults? Do your adult children seem to be wandering farther and farther from the Lord? And does their lifestyle seem impossibly far from Jesus? What feels impossible to you as a parent? We we all have these areas that we can be anxious and fearful about and that really feel impossibly big to us. Well, guess what, church? Church? they are impossibly big to us. We should be anxious about these things. If you are looking only at your kids and only at yourselves to lead your kids, you have every reason in the world to be anxious. But that's ultimately not what we should do. Psalm 78 reminds us not to look to ourselves as parents, but to look to Jesus. And so look at the rest of the psalm with me very quickly and notice the, the impossible situations that the people of God find themselves in. This psalm speaks about their their enslavement in Egypt. It speaks about their wandering for, for 40 years in the wilderness. It speaks about their cowardice and their failing of faith. It speaks of Israel and how often they rebelled. Like us, like our children, the Israelites have a strong propensity toward weakness and failure. But church, that is not all that Psalm 78 tells us. Psalm 78 recalls our propensity towards failure, but it also calls the proven faithfulness of God. It recalls the powerful and even miraculous acts of God for his people. Verse 4, verse 11, verse 12, verse 32 all speak of the wonders of God. Think about these wonders with me. Verse 13, he divided the Red Sea and let them pass through it. He made the waters stand like a heap. That's incredible. Verse 15, he made water come out of a rock to let them drink in the wilderness. Verse 24, when they needed food, he literally rained down bread from heaven. It says that he sent the grain of heaven to them. Verses 43 to 51, he performs the ten plagues in Egypt to deliver them from their impossible bondage in Egypt. Oh church, behold the faithfulness and the power of God. He provides for his people. He delivers his people. There is nothing, whether it is our own sinfulness or the sinfulness of our children or whether it is the painful circumstances of this world, there's nothing that is impossible with our God. This psalm is a song of praise. It's a song of praise for what God has done and it is to encourage our hearts as parents and it is to encourage the next generation. As God has been faithful in the past, so he will be faithful in the present and in the future. And so teenagers and students here today, God loves you. He is for you. He sees you. He has not forgotten you. He's not ignoring you. He delights in you. Parents, God loves your son or daughter more than you do. He is for your son or daughter more than you are. He is pursuing your son or daughter more than you can. They cannot outrun his grace and we see how we cannot outrun his grace by considering how God has run after us through the gospel not only did he cause the waters to stand on end not only did he part the Red Sea for his people not only did he rain bread from heaven he also sent his son from heaven and through the gospel he has delivered us from our sin by sending his son to live and die for us he has proven that our future and the future of our kids can be secure. Now, we can't know exactly what God's going to do in the lives of our kids. His ways are a mystery to us, but we can know, parents, that He delights in saving the next generation. He is wholly committed to transferring the good of His grace and the gospel to the next generation and beyond. And so you have zero reason to doubt Him and His plan for your child. You can rest in His Word. You can rest. In his skill. I love how this psalm ends. It says in verse 72 that with upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand through all the highs and the lows. Through the pain and the sorrow, through the wandering and through the returning, through the successes and the failures of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants, through all of it, God shepherds his people with skill. And so parents, you may not know what the future will hold, but you can know that your God is a wonder-working God and he shepherds his people with perfect skill.